You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. As you're being seated, I want to invite you to have your Bibles handy as we'll be in a variety of passages today. We also do have our sermon notes available through our Google Drive folder if you would like to access those either today or at a later time. We are taking a break before getting into another book of the Bible, finishing up Revelation a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Before we jump into the book of Hebrews, wanting to kind of step back and just remind you of some of the things that we desire to see happen within our church and to remind you as well as to the roles that you play in seeing some of those goals carried out uh, within our church as well. And so we started this series last week, kind of reviewing the goals that we set forth about four years ago, things that we desire for God to do here in this church and things that we've been working towards and and laboring for um, as elders and leadership and wanting to to better clue you in on some of the things that we've done and tried, things that have worked, things that have failed, and and try to update you on each one of these goals. And so today, we'll be looking specifically at part two of our review and the goal that we have to establish five elders and five deacons over the next two years. Just to kind of review our five-year plan as a whole, we as a church want to work intentionally to grow bigger and give more money so that members can go and plant more churches. And so The part of the giving the money piece is tied to the fact that we would love to send people overseas to plant international churches as we continue to grow bigger. And so we want to think in terms of growing bigger, giving more so that members can go and plant more churches both locally and globally. To review that five-year plan in general, we've talked about growing our membership to 150 people so that we can then split off and and create another church in the surrounding area to establish five elders and five deacons, to start an active local ministry, to strategize a plan, a new location, to plant a second Sovereign Hope Church campus, and then to begin the initial phase of planting a church overseas by sending six to eight people to live and invest in a new area for Christ. And so that was the original plan communicated to you guys four years ago. We're working through each one of these points, not in particular order, but working through these points trying to update you, revise if necessary, to recommunicate these goals to you. And so we did that last week, and we talked specifically about our desire to establish an active presence in our community, creating intentional ways for our members to serve the less fortunate together, specifically targeting opportunities to care for widows and orphans. And so our big goal last week was to to communicate to you our desire to kind of refocus that goal towards widows and orphans. And so we talked about why do we why do we want this goal for our church and we saw last week in a variety of passages that caring for the less fortunate is a manifestation of God's heart and a benchmark for living out the Christian life. We said specifically that widows and orphans are presented as God's special objects of love, care and provision throughout his word. We looked specifically at 1 Timothy chapter 5 And how the church cares for widows, we talked about the evaluation process. Is the person really a widow? Is her family doing their job? Is she open to remarriage? Is she doing her job? Is she being faithful to the things that Christ has commanded her to do? And so then we also saw the action goals that we had, and that's to, right now, identify and care for widows that are in our church and widows that are in our lives, to be intentional about caring for them in in anticipation of us organizing that more 
in a structured standpoint from our church, which we hope to do over the coming weeks. We talked about counseling opportunities at the Coweta Pregnancy Service Center that we want to continue to give you guys information. We want you praying about the possibility of you committing some time down to the Noonan facility and providing counseling to some of the women that come there seeking help and guidance, oftentimes single moms who are pregnant and looking for guidance as to what to do. We also talked about you guys praying about the possibility of us taking on the fundraiser auction that takes place in May, that we want to pray about the possibilities of us doing that and then us approaching them about us taking responsibility to go find items, to go to businesses and get donations, to collect all these things that we could then auction at their May fundraiser gala. They've been doing this And they've had a lot of great items, but we talked specifically last week, a lot of the items are geared towards women. And so you have a lot of these husbands that come and and there's not really anything there. And so we talked about, man, let's just try to even incite men to want to spend more money at this fundraiser opportunity by, by being strategic in the items that are offered. And so we talked about you guys praying through the possibilities of us taking that on as a church. And then we also talked about the foster care piece, us finding ways to serve children in this area who either don't have parents or have parents who are incapable of taking care of them for whatever reason in their life. And so we are asking right now for for you guys to pray because we're looking for four different people or uh, families to take on four different or three different roles and then to kind of help us evaluate if this is a need or not. The first one being meals for quick placement as foster families in this area Sometimes they're notified with just a couple of hours preparation time that a foster child is going to be dropped off, that we could potentially be notified to bring meals to those families to help encourage them to stay in the process of foster care. We're looking for one uh, individual or family to agree to, to kind of be our guinea pig for that. We also talked about the short-term care, the babysitting piece that foster families need to have breaks at times, and they would love to be able to go out as a couple and, and spend some time together, but they, they don't have anywhere they can leave that foster child. And so we talked about people praying about going through a background check and then taking on the responsibility to provide babysitting care for foster families in the area. And then number three, we're asking for somebody to, to prayerfully consider going through the training process, the, the eight-week course, I think it is, to go through to where you are now certified to where you could care for foster children. But what we're asking you to do is to be respite care for people in the area. That's for families who are already doing it, but need more, more than just a, a temporary babysitting type situation. They, they, they need to go on family vacation for a week, and they need to be able to leave their child somewhere for, for multiple nights. And the state requires that to be with people who have gone through this training. And so we want to be able to provide those services to people in this area so that they stay in the game, basically, so they keep fostering children. And then long-term, we want our families to consider foster care. But we know everybody can't do that, right? Like not everybody has the space in their house or the, or the schedule that would allow them to do that. But we want everybody to have a role to play within foster care. And so that's where the meal placement, the baby care, or the babysitting, and the respite care comes into play, too. Okay, so those were some action goals. We'll continue to talk about that. Matt 28 in September is going to be completely devoted to that topic and hashing that out a little bit more. Today, we talk about the establishment of leadership. And so our summary sentence for today, our goal is to establish five elders and five deacons that are shepherding the church biblically and leading the church in service faithfully with the intent of sending a portion of that leadership to plant another church at the appropriate time. For our kids, our church wants to raise up godly leaders that can take care of our church. 
All right, so, so our goal has been to raise up more leadership with the intent of sending that leadership out from our church to go plant another church and to send that, that, that group of people that would plant the church with qualified leadership, right? To, to, to have a, a good structure, a good foundation in place so that that church can survive and thrive because of its leadership, right? Like, I don't know that it's necessary for a church of our size to have five elders and five deacons, right? Like, like I don't know that there's enough necessarily for, for those people to, to have responsibilities to do that. But even if there is that case, it's very healthy to create more opportunity for leadership by, by multiplying and starting more churches. Because even if there is a need for five elders and five deacons, I don't think there's a need for 10 elders and 10 deacons within this church probably, right? Like by, you would probably be holding the title by name only, but I'm not sure that we need that many leaders within our church. But man, we want, we want to admit that God's going to equip people and empower people, and the Holy Spirit is wanting to raise up people to fulfill some of that leadership capability. And so we want to create more and more opportunities for that. The best way to do that is to spread out and to multiply and allow those people to exercise their gifts. Okay, so we want to raise up leadership with the purpose of sending that leadership out, a portion of it. So we get to five elders and five deacons. Let's say we send two elders and two deacons as a part of that church plant to go start another church maybe in the Noonan area, right? That leaves three elders here and two deacons. Well, now that gives us opportunity to raise up more leadership here. Also creates opportunity for more leadership to be raised up in that church plant, okay? What have we attempted so far in this, right? Like, um, we, we sh- I think I shared with you last week, like we are at five deacons right now. So that piece of the goal has kind of been met we have actually had seven deacons over the course of this time period, two of those being Melissa and Chris that kind of rolled off of that um, function when they moved to Uganda for their time period to serve overseas. Okay, so right now we currently have five deacons. We currently have three elders with Marcus in training to become an elder down the road. So that would give us four, okay? But there have been some things that we have attempted since we communicated these goals Efforts by the leadership to move us in this direction of being able to have the right people in place to plant churches locally and to plant churches overseas. And I want to kind of update you, maybe give you some perspective from behind the scenes of things that maybe you aren't aware have been happening and are even continuing to happen. What have we attempted so far? Number one, we have highly encouraged eldership within our church. Now, there's a careful balance that I think we have to maintain here that if, if we ask for elders every Sunday, at some point you run the risk of somebody saying, man, I'm just tired of hearing him ask for elders. I guess he's talking to me. I'll sign up for it, right? Like, like we don't want to ever plant a thought in somebody's head that's not spirit-driven. So there's a careful balance between how often do you remind people of the process of becoming an elder to where you now run the risk of somebody stepping up and saying, I'll do it, and you having to say, actually, I don't think you're qualified to do that, right? Like, we want it to be spirit-prompting. We want it to be spirit-led, okay? But we have done some things that I think are meant to encourage men in our church to at least consider the possibility of elder leadership. We've done some public appeals when appropriate when we've talked about this topic before, We've also given out the, the Finding Elders and Deacons book in, in, as a part of our, our new membership process. And if you've gone through that process and, and did not get a book, that was a failure on our part, so please see me. Because we have attempted to give that book out to every male who has joined our church as a part of the, the appeal process. Hey, 
we would love for you to, at, at a minimum, be qualified for these positions, even if it's never something that the Holy Spirit calls you to do or you're never called upon by the church to serve in that capacity. We want qualified men throughout our church family. Right? So we've given that book out to new membership. We actually have had conversations with multiple people in our church that haven't translated to where Marcus is at right now. Right? For those of you that have been here for a while, you'll remember that David and Bethany Guthrie were a part of our church. They had joined our church, and then they moved to North Carolina not too long after they joined our church. I think maybe they were here for a year, something like that, and then they moved to North Carolina, and they needed some, some, some changes in their life, and so they moved to North Carolina to be closer to family. Right? After joining our church, David had expressed to me his desire coming uh, through training and seminary was to potentially pursue eldership within a church. And so we had some initial conversations with him about what that would need to look like, what type of investment we would want to make in his life as elders, what we would want to see from him. We were in some beginning stages of conversation as to, okay, what would this look like for you to possibly enter into some type of discipleship or training? And then unfortunately for for us in that process, but certainly part of God's great plan, he opted to move them to North Carolina, right? We have had two other individuals in our church that we've had conversations with about how either they or us could see them potentially serving in this capacity, but there were things in their life that would currently withhold them from being able to do so, okay? So we've had conversations with two men over the past four years in our church saying, hey, we think you could be an elder based on what you're expressing to us, but here's some things that need to happen in your life for that to become more of a possibility. Like we're not ready to say that you're qualified to do this and move into training with us just yet. We think these things need to happen, okay? And then in addition to that, we, we've had Marcus come to us and Marcus expressed to us a desire and he went through an evaluation process with, with us as elders and then we moved him into that elder apprenticeship stage where he will um, go through six months of training and discipleship and we evaluate him at the end of each one of those phases to see if he's ready for the next stage which is elder candidacy okay so we've, we've tried to encourage eldership within our church number two we have appealed to current elders at other churches to come join us here okay so I realize it's a, it's a massive task a massive undertaking to think about planting a church overseas and to plant another church locally because even in the process of raising up elders, it's a unique elder that's willing to take on the, the primary responsibility of teaching, right? Because Adam and Tyson will tell you at this point in their life, they do not feel like God is leading them to be the lead elder of a church. Now, God may change those desires, right? He may change those desires, but it's more than just raising up elders in the church. We're talking about the need for God to call a specific type of elder that would feel led to lead a church from the teaching capacity on a week-in, week-out type basis, okay? And so we've talked with some other elders who are connected to our church, who love our church, about the possibilities of even relocating to kind of expand upon their ability to minister. So these are guys who are lay elders at their churches and aren't in a teaching capacity necessarily weekly there to kind of give them an additional opportunity to serve. And so we've had conversations with two people about moving to be a part of Sovereign Hope. One who I asked to prayerfully consider coming to plant a church locally. The other I asked to pray about coming to plant a church internationally. We've had multiple conversations with those people over the years. Nothing has ever come of those conversations. They've been very healthy. 
Um, we've both been in prayer about those, those, those conversations, and God has just not saw fit to draw those families to our church at this point, okay? But I want you to know, like, there's effort on our part where we're saying, okay, we're not going to just sit back and just, and just play the waiting game. We do want to kind of jump in and be a part of the game and kind of do our part in, in saying, man, this is a need, Let's pray for it. But as God kind of prompts us, let's have conversations that he leads us to have as well. And then number three, um, I've attempted to recruit potential elder candidates to our church as well. God's given me a great opportunity to work at Trinity. Um, I hire new staff every year at Trinity. A lot of times I'm looking at resumes of people who will have to relocate and move into this area and will thus have to find a new church. So as I go through resumes every year, I look for people that could potentially serve our church in this capacity. Somebody who would like to model and, and kind of come alongside the, the example that I've given of working a full-time job and serving as an elder within the church. And so we've had potentially two, two individuals that I hired that I hired with hopes of it coming to that, okay? One, I ended up having to not retain at Trinity. So God, I think, probably protected us from that situation. So he no longer works with us at Trinity. The other ended up not ever visiting our church, ended up joining a different church, but he's serving as their youth pastor right now, okay? So there's been an attempt even, too, to be strategic in the hiring at Trinity if God is maybe leading somebody that could serve our church in that capacity. I want to bring them on board at Trinity, have a job opportunity for them so they can then partner with our church, okay? So those have been some efforts. Now, not a whole lot has come from that, right? Like in all of those efforts, God has called Marcus to be in the process of becoming an elder in our church, which we are, we are eternally grateful for that because I believe God is gonna use Marcus greatly in our church when that time comes for him to be an official elder. There's been a lot of attempts to increase that number outside of Marcus. And God protects us from, from our plans with his better plans, okay? But we are continuing to make efforts as a leadership group in hopes of, accomplishing this goal if it means someone coming from outside of our church. And if it means coming from within our church, we want to continue to appeal to our men to consider this. Okay? Why this goal? Why, why is this goal important? Why, why are we striving for this? Because the process for becoming an elder or deacon is through appointment only, with the purpose being to raise up godly examples who can instruct the flock, protect the flock, and maintain unity within the flock. For our kids, godly leaders are needed to care for the church. What we see in Scripture, and I'm going to read some passages to you and help you see this. In Scripture, you become an elder or a deacon not by signing up to do that. You become an elder or deacon because a church body appoints you to that position. Whether that's the membership identifying people and saying, we believe this is a person who should serve in the capacity of deacon, whether that's the Holy Spirit drawing somebody with desires to be an elder and that, then, that, that individual then coming, being evaluated by the leadership, being evaluated by the church, being affirmed by the church as being someone who meets the qualifications, being the type of person that the church wants to submit themselves to. It comes by appointment. It comes by appointment, not by a sign-up list. Okay, so... For there to be an increase in elders and deacons, it requires churches being faithful to raise up leadership. So we have to have some type of goal to increase leadership in our church because it's biblical to do so. It's biblical to do so to appoint leadership within the church. And we need this leadership because, as we'll see today, Scripture tells us this, that deacons and elder leadership help instruct the flock, protect the flock, and maintain unity 
within the flock. All right, let's look a little bit at the needs. Oh, let's talk about definitions for the kids in their notes. Elder and a deacon. An elder is a man, and this is in the context of our church, an elder is a man who leads our church through teaching. A man who leads our church through teaching. Okay, so I'm an elder of our church. Tyson is an elder of our church. Adam McLeod is an elder in our church. And then Marcus is in training to be an elder within our church. And we have tried to find unique ways for all of our elders to teach regularly within our church, right? Like we have Adam teaching in our, in our nursery. He teaches our kids every week. Tyson leads us through song, and his approach to leading worship is to teach us through song as well, right? And so we're even in conversations with Marcus about what his ongoing regular teaching responsibility leadership-wise will be for our church moving forward as well. A deacon in our church is a man or woman who supports the elders and church through their service, okay? So it's men and women who have been identified as um, individuals who support what we're doing as a church greatly through their efforts, through their, their humble efforts to serve our church, okay? Let's look at what Scripture has to say about the need for elders in the local church. What do elders have to do? And we're going to focus mainly on elders today again because I think we've done a great job through the Holy Spirit's um, guidance and direction over the years of really getting a handle on the deacon piece in the sense that I think we've got sufficient deacons serving within our church. I think we even have individuals who are very capable of serving and replacing those deacons if they were to be sent to another local church plant. Okay, we've got a great process for how we go about um, establishing deacons within our church. And so we're going to mainly focus on the elder piece because that's the piece that still needs to be fulfilled in regards to this goal. The need for elders in the local church. Number one, elders are needed to provide authoritative teachings. First Timothy chapter five. First Timothy chapter five, verse 17 Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. All right, what we we find here in this passage is, is a couple of different things. One that there's a position within the church that demands some type of um, payment for services because of the level that that is being given. So when it talks about teaching here, uh, it's talking about the fact that through the elder leadership, there is regular teaching that takes place that warrants the church evaluating um, how do we compensate the person who's doing that. I think we've done a great job here in our church of, of making sure that that was handled appropriately to where no elder in our church will ever rely upon this church's money for their well-being. But we've also structured it to try to be faithful to this passage that says, okay, we want anybody who teaches in this pulpit, whether it's me or whether it's other elders who fill in for me, to understand the weight of what they are doing. And sometimes that's, that's helped by the fact that we're saying this is something that we believe deserves double honor. This deserves payment. This deserves more than just saying, hey, thank you for what you've done, right? Like there's, a, there's an opportunity for, for one to, to, to feel that from the church through compensation. 
The passage here is, is kind of elevating this level of teaching and saying, you know what, it's worth, worthy of double honor because of the time and attention that it should take to prepare for it. Okay, so there's some authority behind this teaching because one, it deserves pay, but then also look at the, the, the high demand that's placed upon the elder in, in handling of his sin, right? It says, number nine, verse 19, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses, right? Like there's to be great care when it comes to bringing a charge against an elder because of the authority that he holds over the church. Not to say that, that accusations should not come, but they should only really be heard if there's two to three that can vouch for what the accusation is. In addition to that, and I think this is important too, when an elder falls into sin, it's handled differently than the average church member too. You know, we've talked about the church discipline process, the Matthew 18 process, and how it's meant to kind of keep that person protected as much as possible. Only the people that need to know about it need to know about it in hopes of bringing restoration. But here in this passage, it says, um, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Man, I think there's, there's also this thing that, man, even if an elder falls into sin, pending what type of sin it is, even if he confesses it and turns from it, it may still need to be brought publicly just so there's never any uh, doubt or confusion as to whether or not anything's been covered up within that church with its leadership. And we hear stories all the time of things coming out years after the fact and the church membership being hurt by the fact that they feel like, man, I feel like our leadership covered up one of the leaders to protect them. We don't want, we don't want to have that here at Sovereign Hope, right? There, there's, a, there's, a, there's a weighty thing about being an elder in this church, right? Great responsibility, great authority. Eyes are all on you, like you're to be the pace setter, the example that others are to follow. There's, there's great weight that comes to it. And there's great authority in the teaching, right? Like there's value placed upon the teaching and pay. There's certainly um, value placed on the position and the authority of the elder in that you have to be very careful about bringing accusations. Make sure you have two or three witnesses. And if an elder persists in sin, bring it to the church. Make it known to all so that others can stand in fear of that. All right? Number two Elders are needed to provide authoritative examples. They're needed to provide authoritative examples. And and, and just in reading these passages, I hope it helps you to understand the difference between a local church and a Bible study that meets at a house. You can have a local church that meets at somebody's house, right? Like we met at Ben's house um, for the first year in the planning process. A, A church is not defined by its location. You don't need a building to now be a valid church. You do need leadership to be a valid church, okay? Because what we see here is that authority is needed to really define what a local church is. Membership needs authority to follow. If you just have a group of buddies that show up at a coffee shop and you sit around and take turns talking about the Bible, it's healthy, it's great, it's a Bible study, but it's not a church because there's no authority present there, right? What we find in Scripture is that there's an authoritative example that is needed through elder leadership. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Paul telling Timothy, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So there's, there's two components here, right? Paul's telling Timothy as an elder, command and teach these things 
and also be a great example of what it is you're striving to teach, right? So teach it authoritatively and be that authoritative example. Show other people how to act when it comes to their speech, their conduct, their love, their faith, their purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Man, it's one of the fundamental things that we are supposed to do as a church. It's to teach the Word of God publicly. That's why we do that on a Sunday morning. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Man, that's a, that's a weighty thing that Paul tells Timothy here. He says that like, like the salvation and the progress of salvation of your church is heavily reliant upon the teaching and the example that you set as leadership. And Paul says it is needed, command it, teach it, be a great example for these people. They need something to follow after. They need something so that they too can progress in their faith, right? Practice these things, immerse yourself in them. Why? So that everybody that's watching you progresses themselves. Man, if I'm, if I'm not giving you examples of how the teaching that I'm giving to you is affecting me, you can't see the progress in my life and therefore potentially progress in your own life as well as a fruit of that, right? God's word is very powerful, but he has designed it, I think, to not just be proclaimed by anybody, right? Like we could, we could hire great public speakers and give them the notes, give them the text and say, hey, because you're a great speaker, we want you to share this. No, I think there's an element that comes with great teacher also has to be a great example for others to follow. It really brings power to that message. Man, not only do I hear God's word, I'm seeing it lived out by the person teaching it to me. And now I too want to progress in my faith. It's a weighty responsibility to be an elder in a local church and they are needed to provide authoritative examples. Hebrews 13 verse seven is another passage. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Big responsibility. Leaders are needed so that people can hear that word spoken from the leadership, authoritative teaching, and then see the example of their life and seek to imitate it. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5 is another passage that talks about this. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. This, this submissive mindset to the teaching and the example of the eldership. All right, number three, elders are needed to provide authoritative care. They are needed to provide authoritative care. Stay with me in 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll back up to verse 1. It says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Right, The picture of, of what an elder is, is, is it's a shepherd. It's one who cares for his flock. It's one who, who provides intentional care to, to lead his flock to places of feasting. Right, Elders are needed to provide that authoritative type care. We need shepherds to care for the flock. 
But we also see this idea in James chapter 5. Verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he was committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. There, there's there's uh, debate as to whether or not this passage is talking about physical healing or spiritual healing. The point I simply want to make is that there are times when the elders have to be called upon to help in a situation. That the severity of the situation necessitates elders being brought in. Like the great shepherds of that church who were obviously under the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. That those shepherds, those, those elders come in and provide some authoritative care on some really serious situations which is certainly true when we're talking about somebody who is sick with sin, right? That, that sometimes you need that authoritative counseling to kind of come in and help, okay? So elders are needed to provide authoritative teaching, authoritative examples, authoritative care, and then number four, authoritative protection. For our kids, elders help protect the church. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. The instructions here is that that the elders, the overseers, are to protect the church from false teachings that will arise within the church. That there's a mandated expectation upon elders to provide authoritative protection, to see our role as protecting you from false doctrine and false teaching that could arise. And then number five, elders are needed to provide authoritative training. Ephesians chapter four, verse 11 And he, talking about Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And part of the the job of the elder is to equip the church membership to work, to do the work of the ministry, to equip them, to empower them, to train them, to, to structure things in such a way that people can use their giftings for the glory of God, so that people can grow up in their faith and so that the body is functioning together with everybody doing their part. Why do we want to keep establishing elders in this church? Because we need them. We need them for authoritative teaching. We need them for authoritative examples, authoritative care, authoritative protection, and authoritative training. The Bible talks a whole lot more about the qualifications of an elder than it does the actual function of an elder. The implication seems to be that if you get the right people in the job, 
they will be able to flesh out what their job is within the church. Get the right people, and then you're going to be very well taken care of. Um, it's kind of a philosophy that I have even at Trinity. I'm looking for the best applicants, even if they are not necessarily skilled in teaching a particular subject. If I can find a great teacher with great character who loves Jesus, I can probably help equip them to teach a certain subject, right? Like get the best people into those positions. And that certainly seems to be what is implied through scripture. There's two great places to look for the qualifications. Titus chapter one, verse five. Paul says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Okay, so going back to that that goal, why are we appointing elders? Because part of the process of church planting is to appoint elders in every town to put things into order. Okay, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. All right, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to, not, not to teach. All right, so you've got some clear instructions there about what it looks like to be an elder, the type of character that is desired. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit, fall into the condemnation of the devil." Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. You see some of the reasonings even kind of built in here in the qualifications. This is what the local church was going to need in its leadership. It needs protection. It needs the right type of people. When we go to Acts chapter 6, we see exactly why deacons were needed. Because there were certain things that were going to arise that would drive a, a division in the church in its unity because certain things weren't being taken care of from a, from a ministry standpoint. And what do they do there? They, 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 they nominate men, they nominate individuals to function probably as deacons within that first church and say, hey, we need you to take on this so that we can fulfill our jobs. Man, leadership is needed for the protection of the flock, for the guidance of the flock, and to maintain unity within the flock. So you have these, these qualifications that are given here. Why are these qualifications given? Number one, to protect the church from unfit men in leadership. That, sh- that should be the obvious one. These qualifications are chosen by God through the inspired word to protect us from having unfit men in leadership. But I don't think these qualifications are meant to be like, an, like a, 
a pass or fail examination. And once you've passed it, you just kind of set those things aside and you're done with them. Like, like you got through that. Now you just kind of keep moving on as an elder. Because number two, I think it's meant to help improve the elder's moral and spiritual character even moving forward. Right? When we have conversations with people who are considering eldership, when I had conversations with Tyson and Adam, the conversation looked very similar to the conversation the three of us have had with Marcus recently. We look at these qualifications, and oftentimes the man will look at the qualifications and say, I don't think I'm where I need to be. Right? And, and, and the, the, the faulty thinking there is that I'm supposed to be at a level that, that, that kind of um, is attained, and I don't have to grow in those, those areas anymore. And once I've reached that level, then I can be a deacon or I can be an elder. I think the implication in this passage is that an elder, an individual who becomes a leader in the church should continue growing in these areas, right? Like, I should be more hospitable today than I was when I first became an elder at this church. I should be growing in these things, less quarrelsome, right? Um, more able to teach, right? Like, like Tyson and Adam ha- have done a phenomenal job of growing in their capacity to teach since the very first sermons that they gave, right? Like, like I, I, I told Adam in one of the sermons that I listened to, uh, or the, the Matt 28 night that I, that I heard him do recently. I was doing the nursery, so I had to listen to the podcast. I said, man, it was so encouraging to hear you teach because it is, it is way different than the first time you taught. Not that there was anything wrong with the way he taught the first time, but the confidence that he exuded after a couple of years of being an elder and having the opportunity to teach our kids and just become more comfortable with God's word in a, in a formal capacity, man, you can see great growth in that. So, so the, the qualifications are meant to be a, a way for elders to continue to grow in their own life, okay? And then number three, to help improve the elder's shepherding skills. There's some things here that are very important in regards to not being quick-tempered, to be gentle, to be hospitable, to be not quarrelsome. I mean, those are important things that we have to remember in our shepherding of this church, in our interaction with people in this church, that we have to exude these qualities in our shepherding for our shepherding to be effective. So part of the reason the qualifications are given are certainly to protect the church from unfit men, but it's also given to keep the men that were found to be fit growing. Because every time we sit down and look at these qualifications for new leadership, it's a good prompting and reminder to our current leadership. You need to be growing in these areas. What specifically are mentioned, what specifically is mentioned in these qualifications? Number one, that a healthy desire is needed, right? First Timothy 3, 1, if anyone aspires to the office of elder or overseer, he desires a noble task. First, Tim, First Peter 5, 2 says that the person who is an elder has to desire it with the right desires, right? Not under compulsion. He wasn't begged to do it. He wasn't told to do it. It was something that the Spirit prompted in him to do it. And he's also not doing it for personal gain. That's why we don't pay anybody for teaching on a Sunday morning that becomes an elder until they've been an elder for a full year. Like nobody gets to decide to try to do this in order to make some money and and benefit their family because they're short on cash. Like it's meant to even be a protection for why do you want to be an elder? Because you're not getting paid to teach on Sundays for a while, okay? So we want to protect people from having any type of unhealthy desire to pursue this because healthy desire is one of the key pieces of the qualifications of being an elder. Number two, holy character is extremely important, 
right? Like you see a lot of stuff in these two listings about good reputation, someone who's above reproach, respectable, well thought of by outsiders. We could, we, we could, and we've done this before, take time to break down each one of these words, but man, just as an overcoming, ar- over-encompassing arch, it, it's meant to, to show us that holy character is certainly to be true of anybody who's put into the position of elder. Number three is personal discipline. It's somebody who maintains good self-control, right? And, and the listing in, this, in these two lists are things that are typically out of control in people's life, right? Like, like they're not given to alcohol in an unhealthy way, they don't love money, right? That they, they don't crave authority. That they don't mismanage their emotions. They're not known for their anger, and they're able to control themselves sexually. These, these are all things that oftentimes are out of control in the lives of people who, who are not yet maturing in their faith. And so he says, this person needs to be completely under control. They're not controlled by money. They're not controlled by sex. They're not controlled by alcohol. They're not controlled by this world. They're controlled by the spirit. It's somebody who has great personal discipline. Number, th- uh, number four, it's someone who's viewed as a capable leader because they're doing a great job with the, with the small flock that they've been given in their family, right? Like they manage their family well. They take care of their, their spouse. Their kids are very submissive to their leadership. And even when their kids are not submissive, he is doing a great job of showing and, and responding to that lack of submission as well, right? So it's not the expectation is that every elder's kid is perfect. It's that the elder is seeking to handle every situation in his family biblically, right? We're talking about kids with sin natures and kids who are growing up that maybe aren't yet Christians, right? But it's a man who knows how to manage his household well. Gives you great confidence that he'll manage this household well too, right? David took care of the flock before he was given Israel. He protected that flock from lions and bears he was able to protect it from the Philistines, right? Great care in the small things that God has given to him already. And then number five, biblical knowledge. Biblical knowledge, the ability to teach, the ability to teach sound doctrine is emphasized in these two passages. Very important that this man is not just a great guy. If he's a, if he's a great guy, it's great. <laughs> but he may not be supposed to be an elder within our church. He's got to be able to teach. He's got to be able to know God's word, right? Um, My desire would be that for all of our men that you are pursuing these things so that you're fully qualified if God ever wants to call you, right? Don't wait until, and I don't know that it even works this way, that God could even place a desire in somebody's heart and now it's time to get qualified. Like I, I think the qualification comes before the calling probably. Um, so all of our men should be pursuing this type of qualification. Whether you ever desire to be an elder or not, these are great, these are great things that all Christian men should be pursuing from a maturity standpoint to be qualified if God ever wanted to prompt you towards this. I wanted to kind of give you an update on our goal in regarding Marcus. And so, um, you know, we talked about kind of the process. What does it look like to become an elder at our church? Starts with an individual expressing a desire. Right, the Holy Spirit prompts somebody to come to the leadership and says, you know, hey, I, I feel like God's calling me to do this. The second process is for the elders to examine somebody through these qualifications to see if they're disqualified in any way. Is there anything that would disqualify them from being an elder? doesn't mean that they're now ready to be an elder, but it just simply means they're not disqualified. Once they've gone through that examination process, they enter into what is called elder apprenticeship. Elder apprenticeship is meant to be an intentional time of training and discipleship with one of the elders 
at least for about six months, and we continually evaluate that person based on that elder's experience, all right? Reading directly from our bylaws or our how we function documents, an elder apprentice will undergo a period of intentional discipleship with a current member of the elder body. This time of testing and training will include, but is not limited to, doctrinal instruction, personal accountability, opportunities for service, and increased responsibility within the church. The time of elder apprenticeship will last for an indefinite period of time until the individual has demonstrated faithfulness and maturity in the eyes of both the elder body and the members of the church. The elder body will regularly discuss the progress of each individual and will thoroughly evaluate the status of the apprentice no less than every six months. Once an elder apprentice has been unanimously affirmed by the elder body as being fully qualified and capable of serving as an elder, the apprentice will enter into a time of elder candidacy. During this time, the elder candidate will be presented to the church for prayer. The time of elder candidacy will last for a period of nine months, during which the candidate will see an increase in exposure to the responsibility of being an elder at Sovereign Hope Church. The elder apprentice may also be asked to participate in the regular elder meetings on occasion to contribute wisdom and insight. At the end of the eight month of candidacy, the elder candidate will be presented to the members of the church for final review before affirmation. The church will then enter into a period of one month or four weeks during which there will be encouraged times of prayer and fasting. During this time, members will be permitted to raise any concerns or questions concerning the capability of the elder candidate. After the period of one month or four weeks, if there is no remaining issues to be resolved, the church will affirm the individual as an elder by the laying on of hands. So we wanted to formally announce to you guys that Marcus is officially entering elder candidacy as of today. All right, so he has gone through this process of apprenticeship. We have worked through any, anything that we felt the need to work through with him. All three of us have had the opportunity to do that. Um, we have been in prayer about this. We've been meeting regularly with Marcus on a weekly basis for at least the last four months, if not longer than that. In addition to Marcus meeting regularly with Tyson for individual um, equipping and training. And, and we've worked through doctrinal things to make sure that we're all on the same page. We've, we've handled some issues together to see how Marcus responds and, and whether there's continuity and even how we view things to make sure that's going to be a good fit in regards to how we're seeking to lead this church. And so we are inviting you today to be in great prayer over the next eight months for Marcus because this is almost a year process still before he would become an elder of our church. So for the next eight months, Marcus will have um, increased opportunities to serve within this church. Um, We're hoping to increase his exposure even on a Sunday morning um, regularly, but then also giving him some opportunities to teach more on a Sunday morning as well. We will ask you to pray for the next eight months and to see yourself as a part of this process. Man, everybody ought to be intentional of saying, okay, we need to have Marcus and Ray over to our house or we need to go out to dinner with them or something over the next eight months so that we make a one-on-one personal connection with them because what you're going to be affirming in nine months is that you want to submit yourself to his leadership as a part of this church. So, man, I would encourage everybody to do their due diligence in interacting with Marcus and Renee and his family, to have time over the next eight months to spend with him, to, to evaluate and examine him as a church member as well. Marcus would invite that as well in his own life. Okay, so between now and April, that's kind of the phase that we're in with Marcus. When we get to the end of April, we'll have that four-week period where we're inviting any formal concerns to come to us, but certainly anything like that could come to us between now and then as well. But there'll be a four-week period where we tell you 
If we do not hear from you over the next four weeks, we will plan to affirm Marcus as an elder of our church. And so we're extremely thankful that God has answered prayers for the prompting in in somebody's heart to want to step up and do this. Um, We're certainly grateful and thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit in Marcus's life prior to coming to us, but then even since coming to us over the past um, nine months, probably to a year since he even first expressed desires about eldership within our church. And so in regards to action towards our goal, I told you I wanted to give you these at the end of each week. Number one, pray for Marcus and examine him over the next eight months. That's how you participate in this, to pray for and to examine Marcus over the next eight months, to be very intentional, to encourage him in this process as well. Number two, to be qualified if ever called. Man, for, for, for our men to be pursuing these qualifications as acts of sanctification. Paul cautions us about what would withhold us from being able to appoint elders and even keep elders. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. Paul says, I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. What we can't have is mature men in this church falling prey to sin and disqualifying themselves. If we're to continue to appoint elders within this church, we need men pursuing maturity, pursuing a, a mindset of disciplining their body, keeping themselves under control so that they can be qualified if God ever calls them to this. We also need those who, who are not qualified because of a, a lack of spiritual maturity to pursue spiritual maturity because Hebrews 5 verse 11 says, about this we have much to say. It's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. We need all of our men identifying themselves as men who are now feasting on meat and not just milk, who are pursuing a deep understanding of God's word. And then number three, pray for God to call more leaders, particularly in the area of the eldership, right? Like we we desire for, for God to raise up more elders because we are going to continue to desire that we can plant more churches. Um, And in order for that to happen, we need leadership that can help assume responsibility for those churches that we want to plant. And that's something that we can't manufacture. Like we can't make that happen. Right? We, we, can, we can do our best to appeal to eldership within our church. We can do our best to talk to other men that we know are looking for opportunities to teach. I can do my best in the hiring process at Trinity, but I can't manufacture men who desire to do this. It's, it's, it's a fruit of the Spirit that comes from, from, from answered prayer, I think. Let's pray for God to, to raise up men, for the Holy Spirit to work and move. We see the fruit of that when someone feels that prompting to come and to, and to pursue eldership. And so we certainly want to pray for that. That's how you get to participate with us, to pray for God to call more leaders. All right, I want to, I want to close us today in prayer. We're not going to sing like we normally do. Um, we're just going to spend some time uh, praying, and I want to lead us in prayer, and I want you to be praying individually as well um, for these specific things, um, that God would give us guidance and direction about how to, um, to find leadership, to to equip leadership that God may bring to us so that we can multiply and we can maximize 
um, our efforts in this area to, to plant more churches. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you and, and we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the very clear things that are given to us in your word. We certainly have seen today the, the great importance of leadership within the church in a day and age where people are trying to remove themselves from being under leadership and are, are very desirous of, of creating uh, what they would call church environments that maybe lack leadership. God, we see in your word that leadership is so important. It's so important for the protection and the guidance and the training and the equipping of your flock. God, I thank you for the elders that you have raised up within this church already. Lord, I thank you that in planting this church, we didn't have to plant it without qualified men already in place, that, that Adam and Tyson um, were already a product of your work. And God, I've seen church plants fail because one individual and, and a group of people tried to do it, and there was a lack of leadership, and, and, the, and the thing never really got started. And God, I know that part of the reason we've been able to sustain things over the years is because we were able to plant with qualified leadership already in place. And so I, I thank you greatly for the work that had been done in Adam and Tyson's hearts, the growth and maturity that was already evident. And God, we're very thankful that you're raising up Marcus within our church family. We're thankful for the work that has taken place prior to him coming to this church, and we're thankful for the growth and sanctification that has occurred since his family came here. God, I thank you for calling him and placing that call upon his life and working in his heart to desire this. God, I thank you for Tyson and the efforts that he's made to, to come alongside Marcus in the equipping process over the past several months. Father, we pray that you would continue to grow Marcus into the capacity to lead our church faithfully as he enters into this candidacy period over the next nine months, God. I pray that you would remove any doubts in our church's mind as to his capability of leadership. God, I pray that you would fill in gaps where you still desire to grow him in certain areas potentially. God, I pray that you would grow him in his effectiveness to lead our church over this time period as well before we affirm him. God, I pray that you would make us aware of anything that would, would be harmful to our church in this process as well. We certainly don't want to presume that this is just a formality and that automatically this is supposed to happen. God, we want you to protect us from anything as well. And so this process is not just a formality. And so God, I pray that you would uh, bring to mind anything that we need to know and you would um, bring to mind anything that Marcus needs to know as to this not being a good fit. Father, we do pray that more men in our church would pursue qualification, would, would um, do their part in working out their salvation with fear and trembling, and that the Holy Spirit would call the right men to assume leadership within our church. God, we pray for people that will be moving to this area um, because of job situations that are equipped and ready and desirous to be elders in a church as well, that you would bring potentially men to our church that, that would come from the outside that could then come and be a part of our church and potentially lead as well. God, we thank you for the work that you're doing. We thank you for the work that you've done over the past four years already. We look forward in anticipation of what you're going to do over the next two. God, we desire to be able to appoint elders in every town as you've instructed us to do. Give us wisdom and insight in knowing how to do that. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. 
For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.